maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Center act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on a slacking maid of honor, how to reach a neighbor's landlord, a debate about RSVP dates and following up, and a question about inviting your ex to your wedding. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on six common introduction mistakes. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, your extra question of the week is about stopping for pedestrian not in a crosswalk. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Hey. Hey, guys. Hey. How you feeling? <laughs> you look funny. I know. I have a giant wad of paper towel and hot water on my eye and my glasses, which are four prescriptions behind where they should be. And this is not my normal self. I know you don't like your glasses. I think they're really cute. I, thank you. They're also like, they're really dated. So like, you know, the style is like a bigger frame. These are those old school, like really teeny tiny, like if any of you remember the the Robin Hood Disney film with the foxes and the snake and the lion, like they're Sir Udalali. They're Udalali, exactly. They are Sir His glasses for sure. Um, they do not look like Sir His glasses. They are Sir His glasses, and uh, it's very librarian esque. But this is not a cute look. This is not like this is. I have a sty in my left eye, and it's painful. And I'm like, I'm not loving it. Warm compresses for long periods of time are the only way to get rid of it. <laughs> like. <laughs> Sty aside, I wore glasses for years, 15 years, 20 yeah. years. Yeah. So I'm a fan. Yeah. I used to prefer you with your glasses, Me and too. now I don't at all. I see the old pictures. I'm like, oh, my gosh, we need new headshots. I know. <laughs> so dated. It's so funny. So I'm feeling very dated. I'm feeling very blah. I'm feeling like trying to read a computer screen right now is an impossibility. You're keeping my spirits up <laughs> with your good. disheveledness. <laughs> That, that um, well, that's an interesting thing to say. Cause how do I politely respond? <laughs> With that smile on your face, I appreciate your fighting spirit. <laughs> thanks. And thanks. I had been planning to ask, "How are you feeling?" Before you walk through the door with a <laughs> Kleenex under your glasses. <laughs> Because we've been passing a flu around my house for oh, not really a flu; it's a cold. Yeah. And they say that when your kid goes to daycare, you start getting everything that is in town, yes. pretty much direct vector transmission One giant into your petri home. Dish. Yeah. You know, my mantra used to be, "I'm healthy as an ox; I don't get sick." Yeah, it's true. Dan, Dan, actually, for the first like eight years he worked at the institute, I don't think he took a sick day. It used to be true, <laughs> and now. I get colds all the time. Oh, that's awful. But I happen to have gotten through the last one. I've shaken it. Everyone in the house is healthy. (laughs) There are smiles and good night's sleep. (laughs) So I was feeling really good about feeling good. And I was thinking, oh, let's talk about feeling good today. (laughs) And I walk in like this. Thank you for being my straight man. <laughs> no, hey, man. Uh, Any time? <laughs> so I've got an idea. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Let's get to some questions. 
Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also find us on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. And sustaining members, remember to put sustaining members somewhere in your message. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question was titled M-O-H Slacker, and I kind of love just the very direct call out. Dan, you want to read it for us? I am a bridesmaid to my best friend for her wedding coming up in April. Her sister is her maid of honor, but she is not a good one. I am a wedding planner, but bridesmaid? I've only been twice before. Her sister is not planning a bachelorette party, even though the bride does want one. I've tried talking to the MOH many times about planning something, even offered to take the lead on it, and she is insistent on no party. Can I override her and plan one anyway? I have not talked to the bride. I don't want her to know there are issues. Emily. Oh, Emily, this is this is tough. This is you're dealing with a family dynamic and like the the quasi not real hierarchy of maid of honor versus bridesmaid like maid of honor really doesn't like dictate what happens in terms of the bridal party parties but the maid of honor is the maid of honor as opposed to and I hate to say it just a bridesmaid like there's a certain something special there and so it's it's a little awkward and you've also then got the sister dynamic going on and you have no idea why this sister is like 
refusing to celebrate her sister. I think that you absolutely go to the bride on this and that you say, hey, listen, I really know that you want a a bachelorette party. I'm really excited to do it. Your sister has not wanted to throw it. And I think you have to be honest. I mean, you call me out if I'm wrong here, D. But I think you got to say it. I, because I think you need to talk with the bride about the dynamic there and make sure that you don't end up stepping on the sister's toes or really causing a bad rift there. And if it's going to be the kind of thing that is, you want the heads up from the bride on that. And I think the bride wants the heads up on why she's not getting this bachelorette party that she so wants or why her sister isn't going to be the one planning it. I agree a thousand percent. Really? You, well, okay. I feel better. I feel better. <laughs> the part I agree a thousand percent about is if the bride wants this, you got to help make it happen. I think so. And figuring out how to do that is the etiquette of the situation. Totally. I hadn't been thinking as much about the the title maid of honor versus bridesmaid. <laughs> and it is sort of an honor in some ways. And it might be an honor that the bride wanted to afford her sister. But yeah. It's the honor she wants to give her. Maybe she doesn't necessarily want to rely on her for everything that usually comes with that title. And that happens a lot with these dynamics. So you're honoring your sister. Good. But let's not let that interfere and let's not try to parse or dissect too many of those family relationships. The execution of everything that someone would want as part of their wedding. The only thought that I had that was a little different was maybe just try one more time before you bring it to the bride. And and I, I think that's a judgment call. If you yeah. know the bride well, if it's not necessarily going to be a big deal or if it doesn't have to be a big deal, you might say, hey, there's been some question about whether or not we're going to do a bachelorette party. Is that something you're really looking forward to? Yeah, definitely. Maybe mention it to your sister so that she'll that, I like that. help me out as we kick this into gear or something like that. I like that. Just saying, you know, oh, good. You do want one. We'd love to throw one for you. I, I might need a little help convincing your sister that you really want one. Exactly. To me, that's a non-offensive conversation. It's not calling anyone out. It's not accusing anyone of anything. If that doesn't feel smooth or natural or if you've got a pretty good relationship with the sister, with the maid of honor here, give her a call and say, you know, I really think your sister wants this. I'd be willing to take the point on it. And I I hear that that's that's been done. (laughs) My only thought is maybe just do it one more time. Just in case. Give her another chance to say yes before you go over her head. See, I often feel like when you double up on something you've already done, that it's actually insulting to the other person's listening skills, their understanding of what's transpired before you already. And that's why I loved your approach of talking to the sister and saying, I might need you to help convince your sister that you really do want one. She's of the impression that you don't. And I would love to change that so that we can all participate in this together. Also, it's I mean, we don't need to say this to the maid of honor, but she doesn't have to actually attend the bachelorette party if that's what she's worried about. And when the bride starts thinking about this event and actually kind of joining forces to plan it, I might just, you know, toss the reminder out there that this is really for whoever can make it. It's not a it's not a mandatory, you know, as my mother calls them, command performance. And therefore, that might cause less tension between the sisters if it's something about how much time all the wedding events are starting to take up on a calendar and things like that. 
you might also be working against some preconceived notions about what a bachelor or bachelorette party is or has to be. And having a couple of different ideas, some things that you could run by people that give a range of options. And I don't know what the bride's looking for here, but there's a good chance you can find one that's not going to be offensive to the maid of honor if she does want to participate but just doesn't want to participate in that kind of thing. (laughs) We'll let our imaginations run wild with what the that is. No, but it is it is a really good point. Emily, the last thing that I think I'm going to go out on a limb and say Dan would join me in suggesting to you is to to really try to put the frustrating part of this behind you and to move forward really thinking about wanting to include this maid of honor, the sister, and not just thinking about it as a should I override her and plan one anyway. It's how can we involve her or how can we get her to understand why we are going to do this and just the tonal shift in your own head will put you in that more gracious more community space with it and i think that'll go a long way as you're as you're you know getting someone on board for doing something they don't want to do emily we hope this helps and we hope you have a lot of fun celebrating the bride to be well i'm sorry we don't do things more to your way of thinking no i didn't mean it that way betty i just thought it would be easier for everyone if we would do it the other way Our next question is about a noisy heat pump. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. I love your show. I've been a listener for a long time since the dinner party download days. Your show has just gotten better and better and more enjoyable the longer I've listened, as I feel I know you both a little more. My question has to do with a noisy neighbor, or rather their noisy heat pump. When we first bought our house three years ago, it was quiet and peaceful. Just a couple of weeks later... Our house was filled with a horrible, loud, and noticeable whirring industrial sound a lot of the time. This was all made worse as we moved into our house literally the evening we brought our newborn home from the hospital. Thank goodness for our wonderful friends and family. Several weeks later, our neighbors, who owned the house and rented out, came and fixed their heat pump, which luckily got rid of the horrendous sound. Well, now it's back and near constant in our lives. It's very loud and unpleasant. However, because they have rented the house out since we've lived there, we don't know these particular neighbors. We've met in passing, i.e. waved at them while driving down our shared driveway or said a brief hello when we were on our way out the door. No more than maybe two to three times. The heat pump is on the opposite side of their garage, but right by our sliding glass door in our living room. Our house is small, and it makes most of the house intolerable most of the time. I don't have their contact info. Would it be rude to go to their tenant and ask for their phone number or preferred contact information? Should I ask another neighbor who has lived here longer and likely has it? Can you provide me with some sample language? I feel awkward contacting them about this issue when we haven't had much contact with them. But the sound is making our otherwise quiet and peaceful rural home feel horrible. I think it must be the same problem they were having before, but I have a feeling they have no idea about it. When they fixed it years ago, it was not because we let them know. This has been going on for months on end this time around. Thank you so much for your advice. I do not want to get a decibel reader and the county involved, but I don't know the right way to approach this to get our peaceful house back. Sincerely, Anonymous. Anonymous 
Thank you for being a longtime listener to the show. We really appreciate it. The Dinner Party download days were four or five years ago now. So, Well, the start of them were. We the, the, Their show only ended like a year ago. We were still on it that's at that true. point. That's true. I feel some sympathy around this question. One, because I was also moving into a new home right around the time Anisha arrived, and there was a lot going on. And my other point of connection with this question is that Pooja really wants to get heat pumps at our house. <laughs> now you know they might be really, really loud. This is making me a little nervous. Yeah. But it sounds like something's broken here. Yeah. And this has been something that, that was an issue right when you moved in but then got fixed. And as you say, it's been three years now and now the issue's up again. Um, but And it's been going on for a month or so. But I, I, I see no reason why you can't go and simply ask the, the tenants for the neighbor's number. Absolutely. It's time to reach out here. Yeah. And I think the course of action that I would take if I didn't have their contact info is ask the tenants. And you might even use that conversation to mention the loud heat pump. You've talked about how it's on a far side of their garage but really close to your house. It might not be something they're clued into as being a big problem. They might not feel comfortable talking to their landlords about it. They might be feeling nervous or awkward in the same way you are, or it might not even occur to them that this is a potential problem. And they're tenants. This isn't their responsibility to deal with. I mean, it's it's their responsibility in terms of like the living and the 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 noise of a party or the parking situation in a shared driveway but the actual functionality of a house and its impact on neighbors is not the tenant's responsibility so i'm very glad you haven't tried to involve them but i do think you need to go and ask and you just say it seems like there's a problem with the heat pump which is something that happened 3 years ago i just want to get in touch with the landlords i realized i don't actually have their contact info something like that is going to be very simple um i would not try to explain to the tenants how awful this situation feels for you. Um, And I also really want to encourage neighbors everywhere, deal with problems faster. Don't wait around for months when something is, as you're calling it, intolerable. Um, This is, this is like, you really want to nip these things in the bud when you can. And a light, quick ask is the fastest way to do that. And I, I just think that there's nothing wrong with asking them for that contact info. Nothing at all. And that's the sample language. I'd play it back and (laughs) use that for the tenant conversation, no question. I also love the spirit about being a good neighbor, that don't let this become an issue in your own mind. It's okay to talk to people. In fact, good neighbors talk to each other, and it's totally reasonable if someone's moved out and you weren't really close, you might not have their forwarding address, their contact information. I think the second thing to think about is what you actually say to the owners of the house, your former neighbors, the current landlords. And I think a call is a good option. It gives you a real range of communication tools, the tone of your voice, the way that you can introduce some light conversation around bringing up the issue. You don't need to talk about every way this is negatively affecting you, but you can be clear that it's definitely impacting you. You can mention that this happened previously So they might be curious about what exactly is going on. And that reference to the thing three years ago is probably going to give them all the information they need to know what's going on and how they're likely to be able to get it fixed. Hey, Bob, you remember like three years ago when we first moved in, there was a water pump issue and it actually it had a real impact noise wise on our house. And I think that same issue might have cropped up again. We were wondering if you wouldn't mind taking a look at it. 
And then if you get resistance from that, that's when you can start saying, you know, it'd be really great if you could, could come, you know, within a week or so, or what's your timeline like, just so we can be prepared. Unfortunately, the noise is loud enough that it's pretty disruptive to our daily living. It's respecting the fact that someone else has a timetable, but it's also letting them know the reality of the inconvenience you're experiencing without putting a whole heck of a lot of emotion into it. I agree. Keeping that emotion out is going to make it easier for them to reply to the substance of what you're saying and not feel attacked or accused. Dan and I also have a trick that we love to use. I won't call it a trick. It's not really tricky, but it's it's a, a tactic we like to use, and that is thinking of the positive future. Oh, boy, we're just so looking forward to having the quiet house again. Or, oh, boy, we're just, you know, thanks so much for talking with us about when you're going to be able to get to us. It's going to be really great once the problem's fixed. Thinking about that positive future and putting that spin on it is a great way to let people know that you're excited to move on from this, too. (laughs) Thinking about the future, thinking about good etiquette and visualizing outcomes that we are all hoping for. I think also imagine yourself reaching back out again once it's fixed and thanking them for addressing the problem. Absolutely. This is the continuation of that good neighbor relationship that's going to make it easier the next time something comes up or make them feel more generous when it's something about your property that they're giving you a call about. Anonymous, they're so going to appreciate hearing from you and not the county. We really hope this helps and that you enjoy many more peaceful and quiet days ahead. What are you looking for? A place to live. Your warmth, your love, your work, your rest from work, your quiet and the sounds you like, your privacy, your friends, a good place for children, a place to grow in, easy to keep clean. A place we can afford. The right place for us. Here's an etiquette classic. RSVP date debate. Hi, Lizzie and Daniel. My friends and I have had an ongoing debate regarding the nature of RSVP due dates. They very much believe that if a due date is included, then you cannot follow up with possible guests until the date after the given due date. I believe that the due dates are somewhat arbitrary dates given to provide the possible guest with a sense of timing, urgency, and that people should really be responding as soon as possible. For a friend's going-away party, which was a seated dinner, I included the RSVP deadline with by February 11th. Given that this was a seated dinner, we needed to get a strict sense of who was attending ahead of the event. I followed up with the five people who had not RSVP'd during the late morning on February 11th. My friend, who was helping me plan the party, chastised me for following up, saying that they had the whole day to respond. I thought it was fine to follow up on the date, since it was the due date and they really should have responded much earlier in the process. I was wondering if the experts had any opinion on this situation. Best, Lauren. Lauren, my first opinion is that I like our problem so much better than what other people in other industries have to deal with. <laughs> like, this is this is this is just this is a good problem to have in some ways, um, and I just mean that as you know, it's not life or death, um, <clears throat> or political. Um, so. I I tend to I think you're jumping the gun on your follow up 
I think that you don't follow up the day of your RSVP. I, I do think that you followed up too quickly with your guests. Um, typically, they do have all day on that 11th, as you mentioned, is the date. Um, and we often say that it's the day after that or even a day or two after that that you then want to actually start calling. Um, so we we'd suggest when you do the RSVP date that you give it to someone um, a, I would suggest doing it a day or two earlier than you actually need that headcount. That way, on the date that you need the headcount, you can call people. Here's the thing that's really annoying about our times. I'm just going to come out and say it. I'm frustrated by it on a regular basis. People do not get back to people in a timely manner. I don't know whether people's phones are just blown up with messages left, right, and center, or if they're in some kind of like a digital shutdown and so their phones aren't blowing up and they're ignoring their phones. <laughs> But something's going on where we think that responding in a timely manner means maybe getting back to someone. And I'm just here to say that's not true. And it's not helpful for exactly the reason that Lauren's in. She's got to tell this restaurant what's going on and and how many people are actually going to come in order to secure the reservation, probably even to understand what the menu options are in order to plan the dinner properly. And so it's really important that she gets the information that she needs. And if you have been issued an invitation, it's really important that you get your yes or no to your host or hostess or the person organizing it in a timely manner or by the time that they requested. Again, I do think you jumped the gun on a morning request the day of. I do think what you could have done would be to have sent out either a mass text message or a group message or individual messages to people and say, hey, just a reminder, we're hoping to receive RSVPs today. Let us know whether you're going to be able to attend or not. That's a reminder. Whereas actually saying, hi, I'm calling to get your RSVP because you haven't RSVP'd yet. That's the kind of follow-up that's a, a bit more intense and a bit more like, hey, you're not playing the social game the way that you should be, so I've now got to do this thing. And so I would say that if you're going to do the reminder text, make it really friendly. Say, hey, just don't forget by the end of the night, try and get me your RSVP. That kind of a thing has a nice light tone. Um, I also don't think it was that necessary of your friend to jump on you for having requested the RSVP. You're planning a party for people. They're being invited to a fun event. Chill out. Sorry, that's just me. <laughs> no, that chastising definitely is rude. Yeah. Like, well, it's not rude if you're a co-host and you really care about the impression that you're creating around a party. But again, how that was done probably matters a lot. Wait, whose chastising are you talking about? The chastising of the person who did the RSVP check-in by the person who thought it happened too soon. Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. And I'm with you that I, I like a little breathing room about that around that due date. I'm someone who oftentimes puts things off till the very last minute. So I would be looking at that date and be thinking to myself, it so says by the 11th. <laughs> I've got another eight hours. And... I also would not be offended if someone called that morning and said, hey, I'm wondering about this party or if I got that reminder email. To me, the etiquette is so much more around the tone of that reminder or that check-in than about whether it happens the morning of the 11th or the 12th or the 13th. Well, now you're getting at my favorite line of Dan's in the show notes today is not a legal contract, so you are fine. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> and the you really could pertain to either person in this scenario, but it's true. It's it's not a legal contract, but it is someone's planning and someone is trying to organize something. And so you try to do your best to make that easy on them. And I very much hear your reflection on people's failure to respond at all being a major problem. And I can totally see being someone who's doing the good work of continuing to host and have social engagements that require things like total numbers because you're seating people around a table and planning food, feeling like I need to call and ask people because I'm probably not going to hear from these people, whether it is the 11th, the 12th, or the 13th, that what matters more is getting a response from the people who really haven't replied yet when the ideal is to respond sooner, to let people know when you can, to not take the Dan Senning sometimes guilty of this approach (laughs) and put it off till the last possible minute before you're in breach of etiquette. Now, we don't have to take this question this far, but I will I will say that when you are the one hosting, this is why it is really good to know yourself really well, because I know how long it takes me to sit down and and plan out, even when I'm hosting at a restaurant, what's going on. And giving myself enough time when I choose that RSVP date is really key to me. I know that if the date I need it by is technically the 11th, I like to actually state the 9th or the 10th for people because I know I'm going to start getting anxious about things on the 9th and the 10th, and I'm actually going to want those answers by then, even though my half-due date is by the 11th. And Lauren might have been thinking, oh, on my lunch break, I'm going to go do the shopping for this, or I'm going to call the restaurant and do the this. And just remembering when you're the one in the planning chair, when you're the one in the organizing chair, both your own emotional tendencies, your own schedule and capabilities, that's going to help you plan that RSVP date as something that's going to be more useful and and easy to work with on your end of things so that your own excitement, anxiety, planning, schedule doesn't get in the way and make you all of a sudden pressure other people to respond faster. Lauren, we certainly hope that you've heard something by now. And if the party already happened, that it was a smashing success and that this helps in the future, because we also really want to encourage you to keep up the good work, keep hosting, keep playing that role. It's so important. And please keep debating etiquette with your friends. That's just awesome. Well, the purpose of a party is to have fun together. And a successful party needs planning and skill. And they should all be fun. This one's about inviting exes. Hi, can you please advise on the etiquette of inviting an ex-partner to your wedding to a new partner? Thanks, Angela. Angela, we've got some good etiquette news for you here. This is completely a personal decision that you and your new partner get to make. It is really up to you. And your decision can be based on the status and nature of your relationship with your exes. If there's someone that you would want to be there, if there's someone that you've remained friends with, that you've remained close with, that you have a good relationship with, if your partner doesn't mind, it's entirely appropriate. That's like the big key right there is you may have a great relationship with your exes. It might be very platonic. You know the reasons you guys aren't together anymore. 
that isn't always as easy for a new partner, even a new partner who's getting married um, and is in that stage and has taken this relationship with you that far. It can be really uncomfortable for them. And there can be a lot of worry around it. Um, Depending on what TV show we're talking about, um, you know, there's a great scene in How I Met Your Mother, which is about how it was actually the bride who didn't want her ex there because she still had feelings for him. You know, in Grey's Anatomy, April's ex stands up, they run off and get married together. Sorry, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen it yet. But, you know, we're filled in TV with these very dramatic moments and ideals about exes and old love, past love, and really just take the reality of your relationship and the reality of your partner's comfort levels and let those two things be what guide you to a decision here. And I would tend to favor the perspective of my partner who I am marrying on that day because after all, they are the other celebrated person in this moment. And I think when you start putting a past relationship above the wedding day to your partner, you're going to, you're going to, that's going to feel like, wait, why is that bigger than what we're doing today and, and my comfort levels for today? That being said, I like to tell those partners who might feel a bit of unease, you're the person marrying this person. Don't worry about the ex. Like, you know, this is your day with your sweetheart and your love. And they're making a commitment to you and trust and have confidence in that. So that's that's my advice. <laughs> One of my favorite advice columnists is Dan Savage. Yeah. He gives relationship and sex advice. So PG-13 warning if you're going to look <laughs> you up his content. But he likes to remind partners that it's a really good sign when people get along well with their exes. Yes. That this oftentimes indicates a, a healthy and full personality, someone that's able to navigate and manage lots of different aspects of themselves and other people. And oftentimes it's a really good sign about your partner if they have good relationships with their exes. And I like that piece of advice. I like that kind of thinking. I also like your uh, veto power concept or call it the idea that keep it out there just in case you want some deference to someone else's feelings that if something's going to disrupt their ability to enjoy appreciate stay present in what's for many people one of the most important days in their life i think honoring that and respecting that is a good way to go so having a discussion having it be candid and open and being willing to listen to each other is an important part of making this decision well but as far as whether it's okay or not to have that person there, there is no etiquette guideline around that. Actually, I'm going to censor myself and say there's one other consideration what at play it? here. If you think that person is likely to make a scene. No, that's true. <laughs> the other way that something like this could be disruptive yeah. would be if you have someone who's likely to break out down in tears <laughs> and be a distraction or be something that takes away from the experience of that event for other people, you might think about that as well. It's not just about your feelings. It might be about the feelings of that person as well. Yeah. And this can get incredibly complicated when your past partner was a really close family friend's child. You know what I mean? It's like there are those moments that can get very awkward with it. And you do want to take everything into consideration. But for the most part, I think, yeah. Considering your partner and what you two are really going to be comfortable with on the day is probably paramount. Angela, we hope this helps and that the rest of the planning goes smoothly. And when all the guests have arrived and have been introduced, the games begin. Well-planned, well-chosen games. First, a simple get-together game. 
This mixes the group well, and besides, it provides a means of choosing partners for the next game. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback, and more questions to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail or send us a text message at 802-858-KIND. Kind. That's 802-858-5463. Or reach out via Twitter. We are at emilypostinst. That's I-N-S-T. Or on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember to use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette in your post so that we know you want your question on the show. Each week we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we are going to hear some feedback on episode 231, which was about a housekeeper leaving alcohol as a gift. And I say we're going to hear some feedback because this came in as a voicemail. Hey, Lizzie and Dan, it's Shauna calling. And I had some feedback for one of the questions. I believe it was in episode 231 regarding the woman who has a housekeeper leaving her a bottle of alcohol and she herself does not drink. And I was wondering if it might work for her to write a thoughtful note to the housekeeper. I realize sometimes people don't often see their housekeeper during the day when they are working in the home and they don't have an opportunity to do a face-to-face conversation. And writing a note would give that person an opportunity to really think through their thoughts and ideas and express their gratitude for the thoughtfulness of the gift and yet still letting them know that it's not something that they can use for personal reasons and really think through how they'd like to address that. And that way it's thoughtful, it's caring, but again, if they're not able to have that conversation in person, perhaps a thoughtful note is a way to discreetly provide that information to the housekeeper and perhaps change the direction of that gift to something the homeowner can actually utilize and enjoy. Love the show. Thanks. Shauna, we love it. You know us. We love the idea. More notes, more handwritten notes, the better, especially when you don't always have that personal connection moment. Never underestimate the power of a handwritten note. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next comment, feedback, or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript is about mistakes, specifically six introduction mistakes. You know, we talk all the time about what to do. Here's what not to do. (laughs) Right? I know. We usually work so hard to talk about etiquette in the positive, the affirmative. These are the the changes you can make that are going to make things better. Every once in a while, it's good to review some of the common mistakes because these are common pitfalls, common traps. I was downright thrilled to find this list, especially with some of the items that are on it. I think that that it's good every now and again to focus on keeping our interactions simplified in certain ways. And introductions are a really good place to actually do this. They are. And for anyone interested, the place that Lizzie found this list is on page 18 of the 19th edition of Emily Post Etiquette. Of the six introduction mistakes listed, the first one is absolutely my favorite. And (laughs) as I was reading the section on introductions in this book, I was thinking to myself, almost the most important piece of advice I can give someone is to be pleasant in your face and expression and to look at someone when you make the introduction. The biggest mistake that you can make is almost always not looking at someone when you make an introduction. 
when you're introducing yourself, when you're introducing people to each other, connecting, connecting in that emotional way that can only happen when you make and sustain eye contact with someone is really, really, really important. So even if it feels a little scary, do your best, make eye contact. You can look at the bridge of someone's nose if you're looking for a way to do it that doesn't feel quite so scary or intimidating. One of the next ones is one of uh, one of my favorites, which is um, avoid making it too personal or making too personal comments. So we often tell people that it's important to try to introduce and give someone a little a little bit of something to go on, right? Like, oh, this is Jerry. Jerry loves tennis just like you. <laughs> and if you do that, it's great. If you say, oh, Jerry just got divorced just like you, or oh, Jerry's just back from rehab, you know, you could talk to him about that. It's Those are not the kinds of things. So when it comes to divorces, bereavement, job losses, illnesses, or rehab, um, these kinds of personal histories are too intimate to share during an introduction. And it's really the person who's experienced them who has the right to bring them up as a part of something that they would feel comfortable talking about with someone they've just met. It is not your job or your responsibility or your right as the person making the introduction to do that. Another common mistake that people make is interrupting. Introductions are important moments. They are exciting. It can oftentimes feel like there is a lot to do or a lot to accomplish or a lot that you want to say. And reminding yourself that it's important to listen, to let someone complete a thought or a sentence or an introduction if they're working their way through a more formal process is an important part of honoring or respecting everyone at that really important moment. It's also important to wait for the right moment to make an introduction. An introduction by nature is going to start something new, so you don't want to interrupt an existing conversation or truncate something else that's going on to make an introduction, however important it might feel. And if you have by chance done that, Picking up that conversation and saying, I'm, I'm sorry for the interruption on the introduction. I was so fascinated with what you were talking about is a good way to bring it back around if you do make that mistake. Now, the next one is a mistake I personally definitely make, and that is gushing. Most people are actually embarrassed by overly enthusiastic or emphatic introductions. And so, oh, this is my cousin Dan, and he's just the most amazing father and cousin and business partner I could ever ask for in the entire world. I mean, I'm oh my goodness, it's annoying. And it's it also puts the other person in an uncomfortable position of A, having to live up to everything you're gushing about, but also it it might be more information than they wanted shared about them. And so try to keep it to this is, you know, someone I truly value. This is someone I'm really excited to introduce you to or introduce to you, however the introduction is going. But leave leave the gushing for later on. Our next piece of advice has to do with that moment right after the actual introduction has been made. And there is a conversation that is starting to develop. And that's that you don't Defer to one person at the expense of another so that one person doesn't end up becoming the focus of all the attention for too long a period of time. It's natural after an introduction for someone to pick up the ball and to answer a question about themselves or say a little something in response to the person who's made the introduction. It is really good courtesy. It is advanced etiquette for that person to also then hand off that conversation at some point that that, that happens pretty quickly where you say, and I was so curious to hear that you also love tennis. 
it is um it is good etiquette to share that spotlight back and forth so that everyone's included pretty quickly. You can picture that moment where there's three of you and, and, and you know, the introductions have been made and then a conversation ensues between just two of the people and the third person is going, so why was I even a part of the introduction? <laughs> it's a really good tip. Our final tip is you also don't want to make someone wait to be introduced. So when someone new joins a group that's already in conversation, and this kind of goes a little a little counter to our interrupting one, but you can put the conversation on hold for a second to make the introduction. You can pipe up and say, excuse me, hi, Jane, it's so nice to see you. Have you met Abby and Jack? We were just talking about, and then that leads you back into the conversation, but you've welcomed Jane into the conversation. She can feel included. There's nothing worse than walking up to a group and, and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. I think there's a directionality to this courtesy. If I'm the person who's thinking about when to approach a group, I'm waiting for my moment. If I'm in a group and talking and there's someone standing awkwardly nearby waiting, then it's up to me to pause and hit that pause, make that introduction, and then reset. Great distinction, cuz. We hope that these six introduction mistakes help make your introductions go just a little bit smoother. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we hear from Joyce. Dear Lizzie and Dan, Happy Chinese New Year! While I am still mesmerized by the sweetness of my son's wedding, I want to share with you and your audience a salute to my dear new daughter-in-law, Virginia. The wedding was held at a beautiful ranch up on a hill overlooking Mokali'i, Virginia arranged to leave the center aisle front row seat next to mine empty. After the bride was escorted by her father to the groom, both Virginia and my son turned around and presented me a beautiful lay, also one on the empty seat. This was such a thoughtful way to honor my deceased husband. I was so moved and certainly felt a sense of enormous pride. Virginia had only met my husband a couple of times. Both my husband and I adored Virginia the first time we met her. Of course, the rest of the wedding party was fun, festive, and the bride was so lovely. I danced with my son wearing two lays. Here's my salute to my daughter-in-law for her generous and loving heart. Also, a salute to her parents for their wonderful teaching. Ah, I am so blessed. Best to you, Joyce. Joyce, that is such a lovely salute. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. It's the way this show keeps happening. Please connect with us and share the show with friends, family, coworkers, and on social media or anywhere else that you connect with your friends, family, and coworkers. You can send us your next question, comment, or salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a voice message or a text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also subscribe to the ads-free version of our show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. Bridget.